Imagine this, you're five years old and your grandmother has just woken you up before the sun. She walks you outside and turns your tired little body to the slowly brightening east. As you rub sleep from your eyes, all you can think about is what a nice dream you were having and how much being out here is ruining your very busy five-year-old schedule. But your grandma is insistent. And then my grandma would tell us you have to start praying now before the sun comes up. So then she would dab us with corn pollen and then she'd give us corn pollen on our tongue. And then you're just standing there as a little kid, five-year-old, like, eh, who wants to pray? Who wants to do? Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's what came back when during this time, it was like, you have to pray, you have to seek a higher power, you have to seek the creator to make it. Hello everyone, I'm Carly. I'm of Cree and Métis descent from Treaty 2 territory on the prairies of Turtle Island. And I'm Danielle. My ancestors are Scottish and Norwegian. I was born and raised as a grateful guest on the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations on the Pacific Northwest of Turtle Island. Welcome to the ReStory Podcast. episode, we heard from our guests how they are restoring their connection to land. We learned how land can be a teacher, a source of hope for the future, and a healer. But this connection to land isn't just for individuals, it's for communities too. We wanted episode three to be about this, about our connections to each other, and what it means to be and live in community. And so, here we are. The thing is, as soon as we started working on it, we realized that we couldn't talk about community, especially Indigenous community, without talking about our elders. Every story we heard had elders in the background, passing on teachings, welcoming people home, and giving the love that holds communities together. Yeah, absolutely. And even as a settler, making this episode had me thinking about my elders and the stories that dominate mainstream colonial culture about older people. Oh, tell me more. Yeah, I guess it's just that colonial stories never seem to acknowledge all of the elders have to give. And I was talking to Jordan. He's a settler friend of mine that co-produced the episode with us. And he told me that he has been really impacted by the wisdom that our guests were sharing about their elders in these interviews. Part of podcasting I'm learning is that you listen to these interview uh, tapes again and again and again. And as Jordan was listening to these tapes, he told me that these stories um, of the ways that, yeah, elders were sharing their wisdom, those stories really sunk deep for him and really moved him. And he told me about his own regrets of buying into those colonial narratives and not being more present for his grandfather before he died. The more we talked, the more the conversation turned to being about how he felt this drive or need, or I think he used the word urgency, to change the way he related to his elders. 
we talked about this need to celebrate elders' love and wisdom and guidance in this colonial culture that often only sees the needs of elders and rolls their eyes at elders as a burden. Wow, that's why we have to restore. So this episode is for and about elders as much as it is about community. Well, most importantly, I'm a grandpa. I have eight grandchildren and I have four children and the eight grandchildren are special and I'm involved in their lives as, as much as I can be. I'm a retired educator. I uh, was a, a teacher for 34 years. This is Kelvin Reset. He is a member of Cedars Advisory Council, a Métis knowledge keeper, and as you just heard, a proud grandpa and lifelong educator. So for the most part, uh, that was who I was, but I've retired six years ago. I've now turned 70 and I am quite involved in my community. So I'm quite involved with trying to help the larger world strive towards reconciliation. Calvin is a champion of reconciliation and he's been striving at it for many years and in many ways from writing a children's book series on Trudy education to directly working with teaching kids, to educating the educators on how to bring Indigenous content into the classroom, to... Okay, okay, you're kind of showing off for him now. Yeah, of course I am. He's the coolest. I mean, you're not wrong. Thank you. Clearly, we could share a million of Calvin's stories with you, but one in particular struck us. The story of how Calvin and his community restored their collective connection to land and to each other. I'm from Saskatchewan. I'm uh, in the southern area of Saskatchewan, in an area known as the Capel Valley. My community, of course, is the Métis community, and I've been very closely connected to that community, well, my entire life, and I've really focused on trying to maintain that connection. Through that process, we had been involved in what we called a traditional land use study. So we were uh, looking at our community and we're trying to map where all the, the people lived when many, many years ago in the road allowances, where the hunting spots were, where the fishing spots were, where the trapping spots were, where some of the stories evolved from, things like that. So we were talking with old people, older people, and we were gathering stuff and trying to record stories. But over the process, they enjoyed the opportunities to get together and meet as a community. So we decided we'd create four camps, one in the spring, one in the summer, one in the fall, and one in the winter. And then we were connected to the land, the medicines, the language, the animals, the birds, everything, you know, sort of thing. We roughed it in the country, slept in campsites and outdoor fires and learning lots and just sharing stories and evolving together as a community. And we found that we really liked each other and we really got along well as people and and then we encouraged our families to come and it wasn't long we had 30 or 40 people coming and sharing stories and uh you know it wasn't long we have fiddle players out there a little bit of dancing going on it's not long we got other storytellers then we're bringing our children and our grandchildren and we're realizing that gee not only are we living in a good way 
We're learning lots of our historical stuff. We're learning some of our connections to the land. We're out on the lake fishing, paddling around. And so it just continues to grow. And this past weekend, we've added another winter fest to it where we invited our community and about 200 people came out last Saturday to one of our uh, spots. And we uh, celebrated dog sledding. This story was so beautiful, and it got me thinking about how restoring never happens alone. Calvin restored his connection to land as a part of a community. These stories were retold and rediscovered by people getting together. And it is through getting together to rediscover old stories that people can rediscover themselves. One of these people was Gabriel, Calvin's own grandson. For the two weeks prior to that event, he just, that's all he talked about, right? He just couldn't wait to get out there. And he so wanted to meet with Musher Adele because he, him and Adele connected last year and they rode on the sled together. And so it was, it became an opportunity for them to just become friends again. Like Adele's in his forties and Gabriel was, well, he was five last year and they became buddies and they, they became Musher Adele and Musher Gabriel. They would talk back and forth whenever, whenever they met each other. They each had their own place in the conversation, right? And had their importance. So that was huge. That's huge for, you know, for a guy like me to see his grandson being treated like an adult and being treated respected and being treated proudly by others around him. Calvin told us about how in his first dog sled race, Gabriel couldn't do much but ride along. But that when his team won fourth, he got his own medal and a share of the prize money. He was so proud of himself. So his name is Gabriel. So everybody just calls him Musher Gabriel. So now he's got a new identity and he's just uh, so proud of himself. And I couldn't be more proud of him. From a big, beautiful community dog sled race in the Capel Valley to a garden in Atearoa, grandparents are taking the lead in keeping communities connected. My name is Cheryl Smith. I am a grandmother and a mother, and I am from the tribes of Ngāwairiki Ngātiapa and also Ngāti Kahungunu. And on my father's side, I'm from Tiaitanga Hauti and Ngaitahu. So our tribal connections cover quite a bit of the lands in, in the country. Cheryl is an accomplished Maori researcher. Her work spans the fields of health and education, but is always guided by community needs. I've done mainly what kaupapa Māori research, which is very much research for Māori by Māori and there to benefit them have positive outcomes for our people. Cheryl's story, like so many, begins with a grandparent. For my brothers and myself, we have the same source of connection and love for our own people, and it comes from the same place, which is our grandparents, particularly one grandmother who to grow up, and elders who were very clear about who we were and what we would become. For example, we were named by them. So my name is Wairea Itarangi, who is, and that name comes from a particular ancestor in Ngāti Kahunganu. Now, 
they not only gave us names, but they also set an intent for each of us. We were told, my mother, our mother told us from an early age that we were tunneled or dedicated to particular activities and that, that was determined by the old people when we were babies. For me, it was going to be a connection to the earth and that that would emerge. Now, having those particular things said about us, we then were lucky enough to then grow up with a mother and be nurtured and reminded of those stories. But I can remember from a very young age with my grandmother being out in the garden, she would pick up the soil, put it in my hand, close my hand over it. I would wonder what she was doing at the time, but I was out with her in the garden a lot. I was with her when she went into the bush. To this day, I do not like putting gardening gloves on because she gave me quite a sense of being very connected physically to the soil. We were very lucky to have had those experiences, but as we know as Indigenous peoples, our lives can take turns where we are unable to connect with our own people. And we need to be in groups to be able to form that reconnection. Cheryl, like our friend Musher Gabriel, found who she was in connections to her community and her elders. Like Mary, she has spent her life restoring this connection to her people. When I left school, I went into teaching and I went into working in horticulture. And horticulture killed my love for the land. That connection just went because you were being trained to treat the land exploitatively. And you were being trained to not feel it, but just to use it for purposes of exploitation. And so for, it, it did kill something, it, it put something to sleep inside me, that process. So at that point I went to university and in university, I met other Māori students. And it was my, it was the connecting with other Māori students who were on the same journey, which was we had gone out into the world and we began to, we used to gather together. My best learning in university, I do believe, happened in the cafeteria around the table we sat at because our group used to talk about anything and everything in the world. We used to sit there and fit, try to figure out how are we going to change this world for Māori. And we, around that cafeteria table, we sat there and plotted how we would do this. How would we help our people? And so I really loved that. I loved that particular process. We, yes, we took Māori language papers. Yes, we had some great mentors in the university but I think back to those people who are sitting around who were sitting around that table that day and they are now leading different tribes they are now leading in the health industry leading in different areas and was to me a pivotal really important learning and the lifelong friends one of the things we loved so much about talking to Cheryl was how clear she made it. When we restore our connection to others, we become a source of connection ourselves. These days, Cheryl has returned to our tribal areas with her family and is helping others connect to the community 
in her role as a grandmother. Even when you say the word grandmother, my heart just... (laughs) It just feels so full just from the word. But when you have your first grandchild, it's a different type of connection between our mukapuna, we call them our mukapuna, our grandchildren. I have nine grandchildren. But one of the things I know about being a grandmother is that you understand the potency of your words as a grandmother, I think, which you do not fully understand or are able to relax into as a parent. But as a grandmother, you understand every word you speak is an incredible opportunity. You are connecting, you are loving, you are creating those strong bonds through your words and actions. Cheryl's full circle journey from a receiver to a giver of elder wisdom, love, and connection is something we saw in our interview with Mary and Kimberly, a mother-daughter duo who moved in together during the first six months of the pandemic. In the middle of a dark time, Mary and Kimberly connected to community by drawing strength from the wisdom of their elders. I'm just really excited that you all are doing this for Cedar. It's been a vision for us for a while and it just you know, just was waiting for you two, I guess. That's our boss, Dr. Kimberly Heiser, head of CEDAR and professor of sociology at the University of British Columbia. You're still oh. muted. How are y'all doing? You're been busy, looks like. And that's Mary Heiser, who we heard from in the intro to this episode. Mary is Kimberly's mom. I'm Mary. In our tradition, you never call your own name. You have to introduce yourself like they call me Mary Heiser. So that's the way I'm called. And I'm of the Salt Clan and born for the Sheer Cliff people. And I live in the Dene Terra Nation near the capital, Winter Rock, Arizona. We're about five minutes from there. And I'm an elder in training, I always say, because I don't want to come right out and say I'm an elder because there are usually people older than me. Yeah, Kimberly, the daughter of Mary, who's on here. So... Um, since I am Mary's daughter, I am also a Shihi of the Salt People clan. Um, we're matrilineal, so my identity comes from my mother. And since my mother is Navajo, I am Navajo. And then I'm born from my father, who is a six foot three white Dutch man from, from Iowa. <laughs> All through our talk with Mary and Kimberly, it was clear that they are community minded people. Right from the moment when they introduced themselves, we were hearing about their relationships and their roots and community. The thing is, during the pandemic, most of us couldn't do what Kelvin and Cheryl did and rediscover our community on the land. Like many of us, Mary and Kimberly had to find creative and innovative ways to make community happen. For them, it began with each other. During the pandemic, we started out with this huge breakout with COVID and At the beginning, no one really knew what it was, 
how to treat it, what to do with people. And so my husband, who works in the hospital, said, this is really bad, and I'm coming in and out of the hospital. That We don't know anything about it. Maybe you should go live with Kimberly for a while. So I said, for how long? And he said, probably two weeks, and it should all be over. I was like a little hesitant, but I thought, well, do I want to get sick, or do I want to be with Kimberly? So I said, I'll go with Kimberly. So... I went and it turned out to be six months and I probably would have still been there because the Diné Nation had a horrible, horrible outbreak and people were dying left and right. And I still came back into it and she moved on to Canada. So anyway, that was the beginning of how we started. But I don't know if Kimberly wants to add anything. Thing to that. So mom moved in with me during spring break of, from university and I thought it was kind of nice because it was as someone to do hang out with and I thought well when spring break is over I guess she'll go back and we'll just go back to normal but I think I'm really thankful because I lived alone in Albuquerque and I didn't have any pets and to go through the, a really uncertain time alone would have been fine but it was a lot better to have my mom along with me and to have someone there to like talk through things and like kind of think through different things early pandemic do you remember those days yeah i sure do well what was it like for you you know it's it's it hard no it wasn't actually hard for me because like when i think about you know like the beginning of the pandemic and even through it like i was i was honestly like thriving because you know, I'm, I'm kind of a homebody, like I love staying home. And so, yeah, like, I guess I, I had a, I didn't have a hard time being at staying home, honestly, but I feel like that wasn't like the same thing for like other people, you know? Yeah, no, super fair. I was with the other people. I found it pretty hard. Yeah. I like, I resonated with Mary when she was talking about in the interview of like it, it was hard to be alone that much. I mean, also, too, is just, you know, what struck us in our interview as well with Mary and Kimberly was stark contrast between early pandemic, where it was a time of isolation. And yet in the middle of that, she finds like all these super creative ways to reconnect and connect with folks. You may gather this from our interaction. She's also a real kind of a social butterfly, but also someone that a lot of people can depend on. To then now go into the pandemic where she was like with me in our, my apartment 24-7, that was a big shift and challenge for her. And so what I helped do is I set up a Zoom account for her and we called it like Coffee Time with Mary. And she taught a bunch of her friends and and neighbors and colleagues and all and and etc to do zoom and so she so we would both be on zoom for our different meetings her with her friends you know and relatives on the zoom and me doing like school stuff it took a lot of creativity for mary to make community happen coffee time with mary was one strategy but she also went old school writing handwritten letters to some of the most vulnerable to covid because i like writing letters it's kind of my pastime so she found me some elderly people that were in the nursing home through COVID, during COVID. 
her and I start writing to them. And I said, I want some indigenous natives to write to. So she found addresses for indigenous people that were in in the nursing homes. And so we, I started doing that, trying to reach out and make sure people knew that they weren't alone and not feeling alone like I was because at the beginning of the pandemic, you just couldn't, you just didn't understand what was going on. And in our, in our nation, uh, the elderly were very hit hard. They were hit very hard. But it was our nation that brought out that at the time our, our president said, we need to take care of our elders. They are our past, our history. They need to be cared for and taken and elevated to a better standard than saying, oh, these old people in the nursing home. While Mary was talking, I couldn't help but think, this is the power of telling a different story. Every lonely person in a nursing home retells that Western colonial narrative in which community is reserved for the young uh, and the economically productive. Yet every coffee time with Mary and every letter she wrote interrupts this story with one of love and care. In the darkness of COVID, Mary found herself drawn back to the profound bonds and connections that were instilled in her by her grandmother. To endure until brighter days, to pray and seek a higher power every day before sunrise. Mary's journey of restoring and embracing the value of these connections has in turn sustained her and reminded her of the strength that lies in shared experiences of community. No meditation we could write would be more powerful than the wisdom of these elders. So we did something a little different for the end of this episode. We wanted to return you to the beginning of the episode, to Mary's story of her grandmother's teaching, with the hope that it will guide and sustain you just like it did her. When I first went to live with my daughter, I was really scared and I was really lonesome because I left everything. I feel like I'm getting depressed, what should I do? And that's how we got into meditation and going back to, you know, when I was a little girl, my grandmother used to wake us up early in the morning before the sun came up. And I used to think, oh my God, who is this woman? You know, you just get all mad when it's your child and they make you get up. And and then they we all had to go outside and stand in the cold and face the east and then my grandma would tell us you have to start praying now before the sun comes up so then she would dab us with corn pollen and then she'd give us corn pollen on our tongue and then you're just standing there as a little kid five-year-old like eh, who wants to pray who wants to do yeah <laughs> but but that's what came back when during this time it was like you have to pray, you have to seek a higher power, you have to seek the creator to make it. So that was really enlightening for me, like all these things you thought were punishment by your grandparent who, you know, made you get up at the five o'clock in the morning and cold and you're 
standing there wanting to go back to bed and and that kind of I remembered that this was not for nothing that my grandma told me we had to pray every morning before the sun came up. For anyone and everyone, we invite you to Restory. What lessons have you learned from relationships, especially those with your elders? Lessons that when you're an elder, you can draw from to get through dark times. What do these connections mean to you now? Which will guide you and which might you want to let go of? What kind of ancestor will you let these bonds form you into? Remember that we're all elders in training. If you're Indigenous, what teachings, relationships, and connections do you want to return to? Or rediscover with fresh eyes as Mary did? What connections do you already hold close to your heart that you can continue to regard with gratitude? If you're a settler, we also want to invite you to reconsider the stories you live by. Maybe you have heard a story about independence, about separation, or rugged individualism. Where do these stories come from? What might they be missing? What relationships inspire you to question colonial narratives? And how do you want to cultivate them? Thanks for listening to the Restory Podcast, a show where we challenge colonial narratives and amplify stories of Indigenous resistance, thrivance, and love. Next episode will be our last of the season, and we will be restoring our connection to identity. Special thanks to our guests. We couldn't have made the show without them. This season, all the music you hear is by our featured artist, Kino Banale. Dana DJ, producer, and musician. His latest album that you can find and purchase on Bandcamp is called Nahima Nahashtasan. Restory Podcast is a production by Cedar, Covernet's Indigenous Engagement, Development, and Research Pillar 7. Cedar is an Indigenous and woman-led research team. Our mission is to use community engagement, knowledge sharing, and research to ensure that Indigenous stories are heard. Our guests represent themselves, and their views may not reflect those of Cedar. We are dedicated to honoring our guests, their honest perspectives, and their lived experiences. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Leave us a review and share the Restory podcast. And we also love hearing from our listeners. You can reach us at our Instagram at cedar underscore seven. Or you can check out our website, which is listed in the bio below. Danielle Ray and myself, Carly Marso, are your hosts. This episode was produced by Jordan Dirksen and Danielle Ray, edited by Felipe Contreras, Tamara Chavez, Jordan Dirksen, Carly Marso, Sterling McGregor, and Jacqueline Smith. Mixed by Felipe Contreras. Our executive producers are Tamara Chavez, Michelle Johnson Jennings, Katie Collins, and Kimberly Heiser. Our senior producer is Felipe Contreras. And our producers are Danielle Ray, Jordan Dirksen, Jacqueline Smith, and Sterling McGregor. Danielle Ray and myself, Carly Marso, are your hosts. <laughs>
See you next time.